Confusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism, the dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Relax while we lovingly drizzle weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we'll reach new heights with marijuana, we'll discuss 10daysofscience.com, and 400th anniversary of Galileo turning the telescope skywards. First up, here's Caitlin Howlett speaking with Kate Hennessy, the editor of 10daysofscience.com. National Science Week happens every year in August. Now in its 12th year, it's the biggest festival in Australia. Last year, over 800 science-related events were held, reaching an audience of over 1 million people. Last week was National Science Week 2009, and there have been loads of events happening across Australia. And there's still more events to go. In the studio with us today, we have Kate Hennessy, a freelance writer based in Sydney. Normally, Kate writes about music, culture, travel or politics, among other things. But currently, she's falling madly in love with science as the editor of 10daysofscience.com, the official blog site for National Science Week in New South Wales. Kate's here in the studio, and uh, welcome, Kate. Hi, how's it going? Good. Now, you've just come from an event. What event was it tonight? I did. Um, I just jumped on the bus and came. It was at Sydney University, and it was called Hunting for Antimatter, which was essentially a, a... physics professor talking about the Nobel Prize winners, I think, in 2008. So he was sort of explaining the physics behind that. Wow. So Um, he's a bit of a celebrity in science. uh, I don't know. I actually got there late. I don't know much about him. I think he was there to talk more about these Nobel Prize winners. It was a little bit over my head, I will admit. Fair enough. Bit of theoretical physics. Yeah. Some bits were... I could grasp. You know, it took me back to year 10, but the rest... um, (laughs) And there are some celebrities of science involved in National Science Week. Tell me a bit about that. Yep. Um, So there's four national tour guests. We've got a NASA astronaut called Megan MacArthur. We've got a theoretical physicist called Lawrence Krauss, a paleontologist called Scott Sampson, and um, an Australian, the the one Australian who's the national tour guest, who is the environmentalist Tanya Ha. So they're the four people that are touring around the whole country. But what my blog focuses on more, well, what it focuses on is Science Week in New South Wales and Canberra. So what were some of the highlights for you so far? Well, actually, this is a a bit of a difficult one probably because uh, it was a spontaneous thing. So I've been encouraging people to go to my website, my website, our website. (laughs) It's a blog. It's everyone's. And, you know, look at the events that are coming up. But this amazing thing that I was involved in yesterday wasn't something that people could know about because it was quite spontaneous. But essentially, John Lomberg, who is a space artist, an astronomical artist, was sitting opposite a physics professor at the Eureka Dinner Awards on Tuesday night and um, got talking with this this guy. And basically, the physics professor the next day was going to be doing a lecture on astronomy in the media. 
and was going to be running through that amazing scene from Contact, you know, the Jodie Foster movie. And it turned out that John Lomberg, who he was sitting next to, did that entire amazing opening sequence. He was the artistic director behind that. So, of course, this physics professor said, well, look, I'm going to hand my lecture over to you tomorrow. Come in and do it. And so I actually went to that and it was really interesting. Wow. Just to hear, you know, everything behind how they did it and, um, the, you know, the physics and the all that went into it. It's really science week in action, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, the physics students who were sitting there were just totally wrapped. Wow, yeah. that sounds great. Mm. So even though the official week of science is over, there's still a couple of events that people can catch uh, next week. What are some of those events? Yep. So there's actually probably too many to go into. That's where I kind of do my pitch for my website. I've got to stop calling it my website, but I've been pretty much attached to it for the past month. So It's your little baby. Yeah, it is. It is. But there's a calendar there. So anything, you know, from Monday on, there's still a lot going on. Some highlights would be uh, there is a exhibition called The World at Night, still on the astronomy theme, which just sounds incredible. In fact, there's about 10 different exhibitions at the Powerhouse Museum. Um, there's also something called the Einstein Lecture for those into it, um, and that actually features Lawrence Krauss, who is one of the tour guests, and he's, he's amazing at sort of popularising science and making it really understandable for the masses. Um, then there's also the Science of Cocktails, the Science of Coffee and the Science of Choice, which sound really cool, but the big one to watch out for is on August 29th, and it's the Ultimo Science Festival. Um, it's a big, huge open day, and there is about... 30 things um, happening as part of that. There's forensic lab tours, there's biological lab tours, there's, yeah, a lot. So check out the website. So that's on Saturday the 29th, is it? Yes. So yes. there's lots of things that people can do out of work hours that will yeah. be happening in Ultimo. Yeah, and lots of exhibitions as well, um, which I imagine would be open after hours, and they're all on the site as well. Great. So where can these listeners get more information about these events again, Kate? So it is uh, www.10daysofscience.com and it's uh, the 10 is digits. So 10daysofscience.com. Great. Yeah. Thanks very much, Kate. No I'm problem. glad there's still some events happening as part of National Science Week. <laughs> yep, and I there's haven't a lot. missed out. I can still get over to some of these fantastic science events. So don't forget to go and visit 10daysofscience.com, everyone, and see what tickles your fancy. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. Next up, we have Victoria Bond talking about the 400th anniversary of Galileo turning the telescope skywards. On August 25th, 1906, Galileo presented his new modern telescope to the Venetian merchants. So his telescope was unique in the fact that it was able to magnify 3 to 30 times more than any previous telescope. With it, Galileo had seen the moons of Jupiter, which circled around the heavenly body, in opposition to the Catholic Church's theory. He's also seen the moon-like phases of Venus, and he saw that the Milky Way was made of individual stars, which suggested that galaxies were actually much larger than we had previously believed. 
So as a little background on Galileo, he was a, a true Renaissance physicist. He combined mathematics, astronomy, and philosophy in his uh, view of the world. And he was very unusual for his time in the fact that he didn't just follow the church as most astronomers at the time did. So he kind of followed Copernicus in defying what the Catholic Church believed. And at the time, of course, we know that the Catholic Church believed that the earth was at the center of everything because God had made the earth. But Galileo used his new telescope and he noticed a whole bunch of um, aberrancies. He noticed that you could see the full phases of Venus, which shouldn't be possible if Venus turned around the earth. You should only see some crescents like we see on the moon. And he also noticed that there were satellites around Jupiter, which he, at the beginning, he thought they were stars, but then he proved that the way that they circled was really unusual. And um, he was you know, condemned and people cried out against him until he actually presented this telescope to the merchants and people were able to take these telescopes home and look at what he had seen. And he started to get more and more support, except, of course, from the church. So the church told him, that he needed to clean up his act and he needed to quiet things down, and he agreed. But eventually he published his great book, Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems, which basically explained his entire theories and published widely at the time for the Renaissance. And the Catholic Church responded by uh, launching the Inquisition. <laughs> and he, he was in house arrest for the rest of his life after that defiance. But he was he was really amazing, and not just when it comes to astronomy. He actually he was able to make these telescopes because he understood how to make materials stronger, which is why these telescopes were so superior. And he also was quite the philosopher. And I'm probably going to end the segment with one of his quotes, which says that he claimed, Philosophy is written in this grand book, the universe. It is written in the language of mathematics, and its characters are triangles, circles, and other geometric figures. So he really saw that math encompassed everything, including philosophy and including the world around us. And he was one of the first people to really separate philosophy and mathematics and science from religion. And that's why um, several people call him the father of modern science today. So happy birthday, Galileo. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Diffusion at 2SCR.com, brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Next up, Dan Keogh and Caitlin Howlett talk about the science of marijuana. Pot, weed, wacky tobacco, puff the magic dragon, green. Marijuana is everywhere on the scene. But what's the science got to say about THC? Caitlin is here to clear out the smoke about dope as an antidote. In the early 1840s, William O'Shaughnessy of the East India Trading Company gave his sick patients cannabis. He noticed that it effectively treated a number of ailments from rheumatism to tetanus, rabies and even cholera. Indian doctors had been using marijuana as medicine for centuries before this, but O'Shaughnessy's new finding caught on in England and cannabis was stocked on pharmacy shelves. Over time, it's lost popularity as a medical treatment, though, as there's just too many rules and regulations. But in the last couple of centuries, marijuana has made a bit of a comeback on the medical scene. A quick Google Scholar search brings up 80,000 articles on it. And the reason, the reason for the recent comeback, some say, is due to recreational smokers. Pot smokers started to report that smoking helped stop pain, particularly for people suffering horrible muscle spasms from multiple sclerosis or the pain and nausea of cancer. 
Funnily enough, the amount of scientists doing research on cannabis starts to increase around the 1960s. And Australia has probably done more research on Mary Jane than on any other country in the world. This is probably because there's a high rate of use in Australia, but we'll go into a bit more details about cannabis use in Australia later. Globally, there's a couple of cannabis-based drugs which are available on the market. Marinol, for example, is used as an appetite stimulant for AIDS and cancer patients. And that's been available since 1986, but it's got severe restrictions on it. So just how harmful is smoking pot? Compared to other drugs, wacky weed doesn't actually rate very highly at all. Tobacco and alcohol count for a whopping 12% of deaths worldwide. Even aspirin causes up to 50 deaths per year in Australia. Whereas I couldn't find a reference to any pot-related deaths, and I found a few references saying that no pot-related deaths have ever been officially recorded. Some say that the reason there is no record of pot-related deaths is because there's no roadside testing for the drug. It does have a strong sedative effect, but of course, if you've got the munchies, there's no food in the house, well, you've just got to drive to the nearest Maccas. I was actually talking to a researcher at the University of Canberra not long ago, and they're doing a study on what sorts of drugs people might take on a night out when they plan to drive home. The prize is pizza vouchers. So they found a uncontrollable bias of stoners with the munchies who are turning up and wanting these free pizza vouchers. Not to mention the fact that it's also a study taking place in Canberra where small quantities of growing a bit of wacky weed have been decriminalised. In 1994, a report by the National Drug Strategy came out of Canberra saying that stoned drivers were affected as much as someone who had a blood alcohol level between 0.7 and 0.1%. It's illegal to drive on an adult licence with a blood alcohol limit over 0.5% in Australia. So what about the link, though, between schizophrenia and marijuana smoking? Most psychiatrists agree that smoking pot pushes those that are susceptible to schizophrenia over the edge. But just because two things are correlated doesn't mean they cause the other. You see, it's hard to nail a particular drug to a disease when it's got a lot in common with another drug. For example, most pot smokers also smoke tobacco, so it's hard to study the effects of pot on the development of lung cancer. And there's one common factor among pot smokers, and that's family disruptions, such as a divorce. Some say that this might even be related to a predisposition to schizophrenia anyway. And plus, 40 to 60% of psychotic patients regularly smoke marijuana. They do go hand in hand, but no one really knows what came first, the chicken or the egg. Plus, the fact that rats don't actually get addicted to marijuana, put them in a cage with a number of opiates and with THC, and they'll go back for very addictive classified drugs, but not for the THC. There are scientific papers that will pretty much confirm whichever side you want to take. It just seems that science is certainly being influenced by politics, and political morality is sure having an influence on the medical marijuana. I think it would also depend on um, when... You know, so maybe 10 years ago it would have been 80% mm. because hasn't drug use generally gone down? Well, it's varied as well because, I mean, Different. probably amongst that they've also got ecstasy and all the other ice wasn't even around. Oh, and... you mean the kids do? Well, yeah. Right. And the other thing is that marijuana is not 
marijuana anymore because it's not the same old cannabis. There's all mm. these really highly, highly concentrated super, sort of super especially weeds. bred weed around mm. that has really high THC that is nothing like what people used to have. So the amount they have would be less. And it's different. It's chemically different. Skunk. Yes. You're talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's different. I actually was a little bit surprised when you implied that there wasn't um, an addictive side to marijuana, or, or maybe, I mean, maybe not that extreme, but I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I think more and more what we're seeing, especially in addiction centers, is people presenting with um, marijuana dependence. And I think it's, it's probably because it's so widely used as a drug, and it was um, probably never admitted to until quite recently. And so I think it's going to be an emerging problem, um, this addiction to marijuana. But it's a technical thing. A habit type thing as well, like a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle, but I I have heard of, I mean, this is just um, my personal experience, but I've heard of a lot of people becoming quite aggressive when they were trying to quit marijuana. And and I I don't think there's been enough research on the effects of marijuana withdrawal just because of the whole politics and rigmarole of legality issues, etc. Yeah, I did um, have a look into marijuana withdrawal symptoms. But um, they were saying that um, in 4,000 years they haven't actually seen any uh, marijuana withdrawal symptoms in patients. And yes, there hasn't been enough of a study on it, but um, from what there has been, they haven't noticed very much of a withdrawal at all. And that's apparently what the lab rats are saying as well. So... I would be very surprised. (laughs) I'd be very surprised if that was the case. (laughs) Victoria, what what I've read on this is basically they were very reluctant to call marijuana uh, an addictive drug because of the technical definition of addiction. It doesn't fit because you don't get acclimated to it the way you do heroin or any of the other addictive drugs. But you do get drug-seeking behaviour and you do get cravings. Well, this this is what I'm getting to, is that people with addictive personalities will become have addictive behaviour with marijuana, but it's not the same physiological process in the brain as heroin or other types of addictive drugs. So they're behaving like addicts, but they would for other things other than marijuana as well. These, these people can become addicted to all sorts of behaviours. This is one particular self-destructive behaviour that they're into. But so this is why... So it doesn't take more marijuana to get them stoned. It usually takes less... And typically, as Caitlin said, there aren't stereotypical withdrawal symptoms from marijuana in the same way. But for these people with addictive personalities, and maybe there's some suggestion if people are genetically susceptible to schizophrenia and psychosis affected by the cannabis, maybe some people are genetically susceptible to having an addictive reaction and that's been diluted when you look at everybody who uses cannabis. And maybe these people do become genuinely addicted um, over and above the psychiatric case of people who become addicted to almost anything that they like doing personally i just believe that if you've got uh an exogenous substance that's being that's you know exerting an effect on endogenous cannabinoid receptors there's there's going to be an upregulation of those receptors i mean until the studies come out i guess we won't really know but right now i'm, I'm going to wait before. so would something like sleep deprivation be a withdrawal symptom because Obviously, most really, really, really heavy pot smokers use it to go to sleep. And, well, not for that purpose solely, but that's one of the big things. And once they can't have the pot, they simply can't sleep. So, I mean, 
I, I don't really know how that figures in. And also the aggressive behaviour you were talking about. I mean, that could be from sleep deprivation, not from, mm-hmm. you know, chemical, physical withdrawal. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty new to me. I hadn't heard that one before. So oh, absolutely. There's all these new things coming out. That, well, um, yeah, just working out at Nipin, <laughs> I can tell you it's something that I've seen a lot. Women coming in complaining of their partners uh, becoming aggressive when they were trying to cut down their pot use, and so that's not—it's not a study by any means. It's just an observation. But do you think they were self-medicating that these are people that had some sort of problem and they calm themselves down? Well, it's definitely a coping mechanism, I think, for a lot of people. Um, to change topics just a little bit, I also find it really hard to believe that there hasn't been a single death that can be attributed yeah, to marijuana I, use. I had a bit because, of trouble searching for that. Yeah. I really wanted to find something that I think there were people saying that it was certainly driving-related incidences, yeah. Um, yeah. but because you don't have roadside testing for um, whether or not people have been smoking marijuana, then it's not possible to really conclusively say that it was caused by that. So, But I'd certainly be open to finding some more stats about it. That would be good. I'm mm. just surprised... With, you know, just with respiration, because it's definitely you're inhaling a carcinogen several times a day. I'm sure there are instances of lung cancer, lung cancer that can be. Mm. I think the problem to. as well, it's sort of the cause and effect thing. Most yeah. of the people mm-hmm. who smoke pot tend to be tobacco smokers as well, yeah. and that's also what's causing the lung cancer. So it's not just absolutely people who are pot smokers getting emphysema and things. Although that probably does contribute quite a lot to it, I imagine. Mm. So, yeah. And also the other thing is that um, weed itself is is like the toxicity of it is just so low that in fact overdosing on it is is nearly impossible only to the point of ingestion of you know almost kilos of the stuff so i think on that point there's probably not a proven death of it you know overdosing on the stuff but i would say that yeah a few people have you know made horrible concoctions out of their fridge that they've probably died from because of it i'm not sure Never know. I did find out though that recently, speaking to my mother who works in um, IVF about, um, you know, of all things, I'm looking to get a sperm count. Don't ask why, but um, apparently one thing you stay away from is smoking weed. It's meant to be very bad for your um, sperm count. You might have an expert, and that's not me, evidently. I I just spoke to a a friend who um, told me that when you apply. THC to sperm, the sperm swim around in circles. So they get stoned. <laughs> they get stoned themselves. Is that? <laughs> they do. <laughs> There's a visual listeners. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But I definitely think um, there's a lot of hypocrisy when it comes to policy of pot and now we're getting to maybe less sciencey but more controversial issues. Um, but if you legalize something like tobacco, which is horrendously addictive, more addictive than cocaine even, but you're letting, you're making pot smoking illegal. I mean, it's Mm. obviously if you make pot smoking legal, then there's going to be a huge increase in the number of people smoking pot and you're going to have a huge amount of detrimental effects and, you know, road problems, especially because there isn't testing for it. Um, There was another study that I found as well, which was saying that, um, legalizing or decriminalizing pot in a particular country doesn't actually have an effect on people smoking. So, for example, in the Netherlands, um, a smaller proportion of the population have actually tried or smoked pot um, there than they have in the UK where the proportions are much higher. Yeah, it's the same in Portugal. What about the, um, the whole gateway drug thing? 
Yeah, yeah I'm sure it's probably caused the parents a lot of pain as well. We've got to think about them in the process as well, <laughs> these parents of teenage kids. But yeah, there is a bit of a discussion as well about whether it leads on to harder drugs. Mm. Uh, and yeah, who knows? Because you can buy them from the same people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it depends, I guess, on the drug pushers if they're more likely to be um, involved with people who are also dealing other heavier drugs and therefore pushing them onto them. So I don't know if it, it affects the individual as much as it is an impact of what they're experiencing from the outside. Mm. I think um, in terms of how pot's viewed in society as opposed to harder drugs, I don't, I don't believe that it's really an actual gateway drug because it's such a big step. I think you're, the pot smoker, the everyday pot smoker, is looking for something different when they smoke pot than the everyday cocaine user. <laughs> mm. And I, I don't see them as being um, that overlapping of populations mm. necessarily. And the other thing uh, as well is, especially for people looking to get a hit, um, it's about mixing your drugs as well. And um, I'm not sure about marijuana, but, you know, the difference of mixing marijuana with other drugs compared to a mixing alcohol with other drugs is vastly different. So, you know, if, you're, if you are using marijuana, then, you know, leading to other drugs, that's not going to be as um, dangerous as, you know, going with alcohol and taking something like Stilnox or, you know, any of the other prescription drugs and that's commonly how people do get through through drugs is through alcohol which is as big a um, gateway drug as anything so if we have if there are people who believe they are addicted to marijuana and have a problem what do, what can we offer them is there any therapy for people to get off marijuana well i read a, a study regarding that um treatment of marijuana addiction which it assumes that there is marijuana addiction. Um, and they said that the relapse rates and the um, treatment success was similar to any other drug. So so not good. Not good, no. And I think um, with a lot of those situations, it's treating the underlying cause. Why are people using marijuana? Why are people drinking? Why Which, are people using cocaine? This one comes from Elliot Spitzer, a well-known lad in uh, quotes of the world, um, pulled straight off the internet. Um, he says... It's time to let science and medicine, not politics and rhetoric, to lead us to good policy. Now these points of data make a beautiful line And we're out of data, we're releasing on time And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. If you'd like to contact us, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions, or you'd like to tell us what you think, if you'd like to broadcast a story on Diffusion and hear your own voice passionately communicating science on radio, then send email to diffusion at 2SER.com. That's diffusion at 2SER.com. Or subscribe to our podcast on our website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program were Caitlin Howlett, Victoria Bond, Celine Steinfeld and Dan Keogh. And our special guest, Kate Hennessy. Diffusion has been produced in the studios of 2SER Sydney, and is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Marijuana is that drug. A vile narcotic, an unspeakable scourge. The real, the public enemy, number one. Creeping like a communist. It's knocking at our doors, turning all our children into hooligans and whores. 
voraciously devouring the way things are today. Savagely deflowering the good old USA. It's reefer madness. Reefer madness. So mad. See the kids, precious kids. Yes, their heads are on the chopping block, and someone's got to dare to take a stand. Can't ignore anymore. It could be your son or daughter with a deadly stick of reaper in the hand. We're heading straight for madness, reaper madness. Stealthy as a socialist, it slivers up our shores, turning all our children into hooligans and whores. This smoking bowl of evil bears the choking stench of sin. It burrows like a weevil under tender Christian skin. This reaper madness, reaper madness, reaper madness, reaper madness, oh so mad. Pull the wolf. Soldiers for this merry wonder has to be destroyed! Fight the urge of this scourge, it's destructive but seductive. So seductive as is have to be deployed! Put an end to Out our stores, turning all our children into hooligans and whores. Teenagers across the land are glazed and oversexed. If you fail to draw the line, you're baby.